0: America is, and must continue to be, a beacon of light, liberty, and democracy, and unity. And unity is not some pie-in-the-sky dream. It's a practical step to getting the things we have to get done as a country, done together. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge. And unity is the path forward.
1: Unity. It's more than a buzzword for President Biden. It is a priority, a pledge to a return to normalcy. But in a hopelessly divided country, unity isn't as easy as flipping a switch or electing a new president. Hello, I'm CNN senior political reporter Neomalika Henderson.
2: And I'm CNN political director David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. This week, as part of our look at the biggest policy challenges goals and pitfalls of President Biden's first 100 days, we're going to look at his idea of unity as the reality of a fractured Washington puts it to the test.
1: We're going to look beyond the tagline and talk about whether a push for unity is having a real impact on policy or if a pitch for unity from any politician is, quite frankly, meaningless in a broken America.
2: In today's episode, we're joined by former Alabama Democratic Senator Doug Jones to discuss how the push for unity is playing out in the ongoing debate over COVID relief, what's next in the impeachment trial and what that means for a divided nation, and what unity means in America in 2021.
1: So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound.
2: Senator Jones, thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled that you're with us here on the podcast and more broadly at CNN as a political commentator.
0: Well, thanks, David. It's great to be with you today. I am join being part of the CNN team. It's a true pleasure for us. Senator,
2: let's start where the rubber is meeting the road now in this unity push, and that's the COVID relief fight. This week, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer warned fellow lawmakers not to repeat, quote, the mistake of 2009 and risk undershooting on the COVID stimulus package. Now, you know better than anyone, having just come out of the United States Senate, about the pressures on red state Democrats to work with Republicans, not look like you're doing things just in sort of Democratic Party dominance to get this COVID relief passed. So how would you explain the pressure that is on some of the red state Democrats that are in the United States Senate right now, your former colleagues, to make this deal bipartisan?
0: You know, what I would tell them is to talk to the people in their states, because I think that the biggest pushback right now on this COVID relief is not from Republicans across the country, but just Republicans in the Congress. I think as I talk to folks here in Alabama, there is a lot of support for additional relief. Everyone understands we're in a serious situation, and every day we see on the news about new variants We just had a a report today that a man here in Alabama, 35 years old, died of the UK variant. That bothers people, it scares people, and they know that this is something that is gonna stay with us for a while, despite the vaccines. And so I would tell them to go talk to the people. Don't talk to the special interest groups that may be pushing back. Talk to folks out there that are hurting that this economy has not been working for. It's you know, it's working for the boardrooms in a good bit and the stock market, but it's not working for mom and pop out there.
1: So, Senator, one of the things about this proposal from the Biden administration is that it actually polls really well. Something like 70 percent of Americans actually favor this proposal. And you were talking about folks around the country, including Republican voters uh, and governors who seem to like this bill. Moving forward, if legislation like this is popular enough with the American people, does it actually matter? If it's bipartisan, is it still going to promote unity if the polling on it shows that there's sort of bipartisan support across the country?
0: Well, you know, look, I think it will. Ultimately, I believe it will because, you know, unlike the way Republicans in the Senate did this reconciliation process with trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act with the tax cuts, you know, those kind of things— didn't always have the just incredible overall support like we're seeing here. If, in fact, we continue to see support for a package that ultimately passes the Senate through reconciliation, if they can't get bipartisan support, then- If they have to use that again, and it still has this incredible support, then people are going to come around. They're not dumb. They may be political, but they're not dumb. And they're going to see if their constituents are supporting things that these Democrats are doing for the people of this country. I think you'll see more and more bipartisan support grow as we go forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, even President Biden just this week said he still thinks at the end of the day he is going to get some Republicans on board with this. I want you to take a listen to something that the president said about his vision of unity, what that word means to him. He said this just five days into his presidency when asked about it.
0: If you pass a piece of legislation that breaks down on party lines, but it gets passed, it doesn't mean there wasn't unity. It just means it wasn't bipartisan. I prefer these things to be bipartisan because I'm trying to generate some consensus and take sort of the, uh, how can I say it, the vitriol out of all of this.
2: I get what you're saying, Senator, and I understand what the president is saying here. But what about that second part of what he said, which is that he'd prefer things to be bipartisan. He would prefer to see Republicans and Democrats come together on some of this stuff because that can help take the vitriol out of this moment. So is an attempt by President Biden to get Republicans on board, is that just sort of— silly rhetoric? Or do you believe that that could actually, if he's successful, do what he says there and actually take some of the vitriol out of the body politic in this moment?
0: David, there's no question about that. Remember, unity does not mean that you're going to agree on everything. Right now, let's face it, we're divided over the future of this country. We're divided over democracy. And so the more bipartisan buy-in, that you can get on any piece of legislation, it kind of tamps down the attacks on the legislation itself. And when you tamp down that attack on the legislation, you tamp down the attack on the other party. So I think he's absolutely right. We did not get to this point overnight. And it's going to take us a while to come back. And you do it a step at a time. And I think he's got the absolute correct approach in this.
1: And next week, a big, big step in terms of the impeachment trial starting. Zero chance, it seems like, that he's actually going to be convicted if we look at what the Senate Republicans have done so far. But when you talk to folks down south in Alabama, what do they want to see? Are they thinking about this through the prism of there is some sort of outcome that could possibly bring the country together?
0: Franklin, yeah, I don't think they're thinking about it that much at all. Well, I I really don't. But— I just think people are are moving on with it. I don't think it's going to be a big thing one way or another. I think there were a lot of people that were just absolutely appalled. And that's one of the things that I said the other day when I was on one of the CNN shows, that I think the House managers, this is an opportunity for House managers to really put forth to the American people exactly what happened that day on January 6th and how close we came to having members of the United States Congress die and essentially assassinated by a mob. And I think that that could change some things. What I have tried to stress to folks is that they need to be thinking about this. And I said this, by the way, about the last impeachment trial. This doesn't always have to be simply about Donald Trump. This is about the next president, and the next, and the next, and the one after that, and how we're gonna hold our elected officials and our president to certain standards when it comes to how they conduct themselves in office,
1: in putting this all together, I think for history's sake, it's important for the country uh, to hear what happened. Doug Jones, we're going to be right back with more.
3: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like.
1: And we're back with former Alabama Senator Doug Jones. I want to ask you, uh, you did something that few Democrats have been able to do in recent cycles. You actually got close to 30 percent of white voters to vote for a Democrat in a southern state. That just doesn't happen. And when it does, Democrats tend to win if they can actually do that. And. It's actually hard, I think, to talk about unity without first talking about some of the divisions, I think, that are present in this country, certainly present in a state like Alabama. What do you see as the roots of this division that is so rampant throughout the country?
0: I think the real division started with race, and uh, especially here in the South. I think race is the underlying division that really permeates through everything. But from there... You go to a number of social issues that I think have been exploited over the years, whether that is abortion, guns, Christianity. All of those things have created a division, I think, in a more conservative Southern culture that needs to be discussed openly. We need to figure out how to find common ground because, as I found in my election and in my term in the Senate, even in the South, we have so much more in common than we have than divides us. But we just can't seem to break through with that on a political level. People talk about unity. People talk about bipartisanship. But at the end of the day, they end up voting in a different way. Now, I will tell you, I think one of the biggest problems that we have in this country right now that is is, so—I still believe it's the number one divider, and that is uh, political gerrymandering. I think that has created a situation where division is almost institutional in our country right now. And until we get past that, it's going to be hard for people to to look beyond their own self-interest, their own self-political interest. You know, Doug, I think that part of what is on display of exactly
2: what you're saying with gerrymandering is the difference between how House Republicans are dealing with the challenges inside the Republican Party versus what we're seeing from Senate Republicans right now who have to represent and run for statewide office. I mean, it is a real question for the Republican Party right now about whether or not they just want to press that gerrymandering advantage and become a congressional majority party or if they actually want to become a majority party for the country. And just explain for our audience whether or not you were able to find any kind of um, agreed upon facts or common ground in just the understanding of the problems the country was facing. Oh, it's
0: absolutely achievable. And I saw it all the time. I had support across the board, but that doesn't always translate to votes in a state like in Alabama. And that's where I think We've got to do a better job, both as Democrats, but I think as a country a little bit, too. In Alabama, folks have just been conditioned. They've grown up. They've been conditioned to vote a certain way. And you may find that common ground. You may find a common ground on any number of issues and like a particular person. But you're still conditioned to vote in a much, much bigger picture. And we've got to try to break through that. That's one of the things that I think we had some success with, even though, you know, my loss was by a bigger percentage than what I thought it would be.
1: And so... You know, you obviously are sitting in Alabama. It's had a terrible history, a racist history. And it still remains quite segregated, even though I think folks have tried to move that state forward. I was down there a couple of years ago, and I was at the lynching memorial down there. And they're obviously trying to use that as a way to get people to talk about the history of the South. Are you hopeful? Like, are there lessons to be learned, you know, about unity, about pushing past some of these very real divisions that people have a hard time actually acknowledging and talking about.
0: Yes, absolutely. The lynching memorial that you talked at the Equal Justice Initiative uh, did until COVID hit was the number one tourist attraction in the state of Alabama. And we recognize that. And for the last 20, 30 years, Alabama has embraced that past and showcased it like the lynching memorial like the birmingham civil rights institute the rosa parks museum the selma to montgomery march that we do every year to recreate bloody sunday all of those things are i think lessons to be learned there is so much that started the divisions that started here in the south they can be the place of healing for across this country but let's make sure we understand something nia it's not just alabama where they're segregated. Communities and segregated towns uh, and race is an issue. It's everywhere. It's easy to point to a state like Alabama where there is this open and notorious history, but it exists everywhere. I saw it when I was traveling around. You have seen it. Y'all feel it. It exists. You know, the Proud Boys exist in different places other than just the state of Alabama. They come from all over. And you've got this whole, this white supremacy issue that is global right now. It is not confined to, you know, Confederate wannabes down in the South, it is a huge problem for this country to deal with as we go forward. And we have to have open and honest dialogues about it. And quite frankly, I do believe that that can start because the South has had that history. People can look to South. And voices, particularly white voices, that's why I made a point when I was in the Senate of talking about racial reconciliation and equality, because I knew my voice as a white son of the South was an important voice for people to hear in my neck of the woods as well as across the country.
2: Everything you just said, and you said we have to have this open conversation about this. But one of the two major political parties in this country is controlled by somebody who allows that element to stay very much a relevant life force inside the Republican Party. So how in this environment is there an open conversation to be had if one party is actually relying on that element in our society as part of its political
0: power? Well, again, David, I firmly believe they're relying on it because of political gerrymandering. You know, look, we we talk about the fact that there are so few profiles and courage in the United States Congress these days, but that's not new. Throughout our history, there's been very few people vote their you know their political well being to some extent. And now with the way we are so gerrymandered in the House of Representatives and state legislatures across this country then they are so reluctant to step out there and criticize someone that they know is a popular with a certain segment of the base that to get them across the finish line. That is a huge problem. There have got to be, in my view, if we're not going to do anything about gerrymandering, and it's going to be tough, we've got to have people stand up and speak out and say that there is more to me as a person, as a public servant, than simply trying to get elected. I have to follow a moral compass. I have to follow what the Constitution says and stand up and speak out to do what our friend John Lewis said calls just a little good trouble, even within their own political party.
1: Senator Jones, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the CNN family. My
2: pleasure, guys. Okay, Nia, I know you are super skeptical about this (laughs) unity proposition that Joe Biden has put forth to the country. And I... (laughs) I just want to get your take. Now that you've heard the president speak to this many times, you just heard what Senator Jones had to say about this notion. Where is your current state of mind on achieving unity or some form of unity in America?
1: You know, interesting and notable and good, I think, that we ended the conversation in talking about race, because I think, in fact, that's where everything begins, right? When you talk about unity, you have to talk about what is the source of the division to begin with. And as Doug Jones, I think, correctly pointed out, it has to do with race, certainly in the South and and really throughout the country. And you see that playing out in so many uh, different ways, even when you think about what's going on. on on the Hill now, not just with the COVID bill, but with Marjorie Taylor Greene, with the impeachment, the sort of underlying uh, subtext there, not even underlying, is that it was kind of like a white power revolt. So I think... I am a little bit more hopeful in terms of Biden's approach to unity, because part of his approach has to do with addressing systemic racism. He has talked about systemic racism more than any other president I can remember, certainly more than Barack Obama did. And so I think he does have a chance to bring some unity to the country, some kind of accountability, some realization about what the roots of the division are, and to a address them uh, as well. And you see him trying to do that in some ways, not only in his language, but also in this COVID relief bill. So we'll see. I, I, you know, I think hearing from Senator Jones was great because he does have that unique perspective as a white Southerner who does feel like white people in America should be talking more about race. And then you can also talk about unity. What about you, David? What do you think is going to happen with this uh, COVID relief bill and this whole idea of unity more broadly?
2: I think that we talk a lot about Joe Biden turning down the temperature, and I think that's a real thing. And I think that has real impact in the day-to-day life of Americans. I truly do. And Donald Trump turned up the temperature uh, to such an extreme degree. But I don't think either of those things, turning up the temperature or down the temperature on our political discourse does anything to resolve what's underneath it, what the volume is amplifying or muting. And I think what we see the Republican Party going through, you know, in, in these last several years of the aftermath of Charlottesville and, and the aftermath of the election and the QAnon Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene now, you know, the Republican Party is being told by its leadership and namely the former president Who has such a grip on it still, that all these folks have a home inside the Republican Party. And I think that is so deeply dangerous, but I also think it puts any real quest for some kind of unifying force in America perhaps further out of reach than many Americans would like to
1: acknowledge. So that's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could please take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you get our latest episode each week delivered right to you.
2: Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer, Raj Makija is the senior production manager, and Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo and Taylor Galgano are the team's production assistants. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus.
1: We'll see you all next week.